Hey everybody and welcome to the first episode of this Nikos Rapid Fire podcast segment. Today we have a veteran from the Nikos podcast, Howard Chalfin. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right, thank you, Nikos. What have Glad you been to up be to? Good to be here for the first yes. of the new format. Uh, what have I been up to? You know, uh, work's been good. You know, I have a bunch of interns doing a great job for me uh, in New York doing energy efficiency stuff with Block Power, which I'm very proud of. And, uh, you know, uh, the television show, you know, I'm almost getting ready to, to, to shop around. So uh, it's kind of been a busy time and uh, looking forward to uh, having a productive summer. Cool. So is the USD going to collapse due to this BRICS? So, not at all. And, you know, when you look at the Wall Street Journal C-section or CNBC, where they have the ticker tape, right, you're looking at the command center for the world economy, and you're looking at what the Federal Reserve looks at, right? And the Federal Reserve is like a pilot that's flying on instruments, okay? So, they're looking at their instrument panel. And just like if you're a pilot of a plane, your plane just, you lose an engine or you, your wing gets knocked off or something happens, all right? Or you get caught in like the Bermuda Triangle and there's some mystery. But with national economies, there's no mystery, right? If the dollar were collapsing, gold would be at like $10,000 an ounce. But gold has really done very little for 30 years. It bounces between 1200 and 2000 so it's at the top of its range. Could it break out? Sure. I mean, do I think it's a big deal if it does? No. Bitcoin is another one. You know, Bitcoin has a tremendous anti-dollar backstory. Um, and Elon Musk was playing into that yesterday when he said, like, countdown till, you know, like they're not like, you know, they're going to default on the debt and, you know, the U.S. bonds would go crazy. So if you're looking at the stock market, the bond market, currency exchange rates, so they're saying the dollar is down 20% this year, 15%. That's not really true because it was up 15% last year. So all it's doing is range trading. You know, I traded securities for 15 years and it's a boring security, the dollar. It's not exciting. It's not moving around. People like to talk about it. And what, what, what makes it interesting to talk about are the people that are promoting their own Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogcoin or gold or silver. You know, people that, that own gold are gold bugs and they want a narrative and they've had this narrative since I was a kid 50 years ago in the 70s, that the world's going to come to an end and you have to own gold, that you're going to go around the world to be at an end and you'll have this big satchel full of gold and you'll have these little, little things and you'll measure them out and you'll buy things with gold. And, and it's ridiculous, you know, and, and, and where this comes from a lot, and I want to go into the bricks because that's where this is leading to is this concerted propaganda campaign by, by groups that are playing on anti-American sentiment globally, but also within the United States. I mean, right now, America has never been, in my lifetime, more divided and more angry. You know, people don't see eye to eye. They don't want to see eye to eye. And it's, it's a scary moment. And I think that that's a little scary, I'll be honest about. But that's an internal problem. That's got nothing to do with the BRICS. So going to the BRICS. So the BRICS came from a Goldman Sachs research piece 20 years ago that a buddy of mine was in that industry. He actually worked for Goldman later. But at that year, 
Was he at Goldman then? I think he might have been still at, at Barclays, but he was in that space, emerging markets, equities. And what Goldman was trying to sell was that, and, it's, and I'm mentioning this because it's relevant, that they were trying to sell that over the next 20 years, which is today, that Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa would outgrow the United States and the developed world and be a better place to invest. With China, that probably was true if you invested right. But believe me, lots of places in the West made a lot of money. I mean, you could invest in Google or Apple. You didn't need to do some exotic investment in, in some other country. But China definitely had some winners. But the rest of them are all losers. I mean, India, probably the market, they probably, they probably had the market go up. Probably some big name Indian stocks have gone up in 20 years, I'm sure. But in general, the Indian economy hasn't gone anywhere. Um, the Russian economy, you know, except for some natural resources, you know, the CIA coined an expression that Russia is a uh, gas station run by gangsters. Until the war, that's sort of how people looked at them. And now, of course, you know, they're the, the leader of the evil axis, you know. And then you've got countries like Turkey, which is sort of almost a failed state. It's just a bizarre place with, went from a middle-class country. You know, you and I talked about this earlier today about how the globally the middle class is an endangered species and it's just becoming like a ruling elite and everyone else should be like working poor, you know, struggling to survive, not a lot of savings, have to work to live, live paycheck to paycheck. And, you know, so the BRICS, just to get to where we are today, are, are really sort of failed economies except for China. And China's economy is something that is sort of a paper tiger uh, because, it's like Japan, you know, it's, it's a wolf show and optics, but China can't balance its books. China wasted so much money. They, you know, U.S. real estate is pretty efficient. You know, I mean, things get overbuilt, but they manage to find ways not to have a lot of empty buildings and empty apartments in any of the major cities over time. Happened in Detroit briefly, but but in China, there are cities full of empty buildings. So what that means is there's a bank that paid for that building, and they paid $100 million. And that building is worth zero because it's falling apart. No one lives there. There's a tax liability attached to it that they're probably not even paying. And, the, and no one's recognizing it. The government's pretending it gets the tax income. They don't get paid. The, the building pretends the building is still worth whatever they have it on their books. They don't write it down. So China just is, is like one strong wind away from having a tremendous liquidity crisis and having their growing middle class wiped out. And that could cause a revolt. That's what China's concern is. So just to get back to BRICS, the United States, the United States has done things over the last 10 years that have really hurt itself globally and made the situation much more complicated and violent than it had to be because, you know, sort of something happened with the Obama administration, which was that um, the Democrats joined the Republican neoconservatives and became what we call the Uniparty, which is the war party. And, you know, once upon a time when we went to war against, uh, against Iraq after 9-11, there were senators and congressmen that were against the war in both parties. But by like the teens, except for an occasional oddball senator like a Rand Paul or an oddball congressperson like a Tulsi Gabbard, everybody was for war. You know, we can't, we can't be more aggressive. 
you know, we're not going to treat our adversaries with respect. We're going to treat them with sort of smack them around and say, hey, you're going to do what we want, but we're going to punish you. And that pisses off people, you know. I mean, the Chinese, and I, I've been involved with China. I did business in China. I worked at a high level with the Chinese government. The Chinese, they have that attitude. So it becomes a pissing contest. And that's what the U.S. and China are sort of moving towards, a type of pissing contest. And the whole BRICS thing is paid for by Chinese propagandists, Russian propagandists. And this is the point I wanted to make. It's a very important point. Is there anyone in the BRICS other than China that is powerful? And the answer is, is there's the secret BRIC and there's the BRIC that's been paying also for this anti-American propaganda. And that's Saudi Arabia and Iran. Certainly Iran, but even Saudi Arabia too. Saudi Arabia is no friend to the United States at this point. Anyone who thinks that the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi isn't anything other than businesslike at this point in the sense that like they'll take our money and our tourists and we'll take their investment. And like, you know, we do business with the Saudis. I mean, that goes on like it has for 70 years. But at a state level, that there's some kind of real love between our countries, there is not. And Saudi Arabia, and, and the big news that's happened in the last month that's a startling news to, to a lot of people, to me, as almost as big as the Ukraine war, except the Ukraine war has been terribly bloody and terrible, is that it looks like the Arab civil war is over after 30 years, I guess, of, various intervals of fighting or 40 years because <clears throat> Iran and Iraq fought each other in the 80s. So what happened was that the Israelis and the CIA tried to create division between the Shiites and the Sunnis and spark as much hatred and division so that rather than unite, attack Israel, which unfortunately seems to be what, what could happen now, which is very scary as someone who's been to Israel and loves Israel and doesn't want to see Israel be destroyed with nuclear weapons or bombs or anything, you know, and we'll see Israelis killed in large numbers. Um, but the Arabs have united, and what they've united around is the worst nightmare for the United States and Israel. Although Israel has the worst nightmare too, because Israel has the same problem that the Middle East has. They're being run by religious fanatical conservatives. Okay? Iran is a state it's run by the mullahs. They're in control. We tried the CIA, tried to get an uprising there a year ago. I mean, yeah, didn't really work out. And the Saudis are religious fanatics as well. I mean, you know, they, they dress, you know, they're, they're mellow about it, I guess. Not really, actually. The country is not a... So what we did is, and I know this was what we went on to talk about, but I think this is the part of the BRICS that's the interesting thing, and that's this united Middle East that's very rich, Right. I mean, the, 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 the Saudis and the Emirates have a lot of money and the Iranians have technology and a lot of oil that they're selling around the American boycott. So this is a formidable adversary, you know, especially if they're allied with China and Russia. That's where Russia becomes dangerous. Russia becomes dangerous when it's a piece in a larger puzzle. Like the Russians themselves, you know, you see what they're doing. It's not terribly impressive. But Russia, with its various weapon systems that they haven't deployed, you know, they've left a lot of their good stuff behind. They haven't, they, you know, the Russians are chess players. They weren't stupid enough 
to unleash everything they had, and then they'd have nothing left. So if the NATO could just walk in and divide up the Russian country, they have weapon systems left. You know, you know what I'm saying? So long-winded answer, but the short version is the dollar is trading in a range. It's traded in for 30 years. You know, you're in Europe. You don't want to see the euro weaken against the dollar. That's inflation for you in Europe. You have enough problems in Europe. Europe, to me, has been the – Europe has suffered. I mean, this war in Ukraine – and again, I'm not trying to get you involved in that. We're not talking about that today. But it's no doubt that it's fed inflation globally and specifically in Europe. And that's filtering through these societies that already have been strained by, by immigration, by high taxes. I mean, you're in Europe. I mean, is Europe under strain? I mean, you're actually <laughs> really Europe because you travel over the whole continent. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I don't know how, people, how ordering people like myself or even less, uh, you know, financially able are, are, are coping because uh, I'm always having to look for the cheaper items in the supermarkets and I'm a professional lead developer so yeah but I do travel a lot and a lot of my expenses are in travel so um, but yeah it's, it's crazy it's everywhere, but you see you're seeing it across the board at because you know you go to western Ukraine you go to Vienna Austria you go to Scotland I mean, this is a Europe-wide phenomena. It's not just in one yep. country. It's across yeah, many times in Scotland, I'm, I'm visiting people and the heating's not on, you know, and I'll pay extra money to have the heating on just so that it's more comfortable for me. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy, man. No, it's terrible. I mean, and I mean that. I mean, this shouldn't have happened. This, this really isn't. And the WEF is like, I mean, they're not really masterminding it. What they're really doing is surfing it. Right. So they're not really WEF is to me is very reactive. They do control certain things. I mean, do I think the WEF unleashed the COVID virus? No, I don't. Do I think that they're part of the whole Gates thing that makes everything into some master plan and just fucks the whole thing up because they're incompetent? Yeah, I do believe that. Yes. Do I think that the United States and Europe are being run for the benefit of the average American or the average European. Well, America is a little different. America, I'm going to hold in abeyance because under the Biden administration, they really have changed the dynamic to favor working people versus investors, which is interesting. But they've done it. On, to me, it's on borrowed time. I wish they could sustain this. I'm concerned that they can't. And what's going to happen is the pendulum is going to swing and we're going to find ourselves in the problem that Europe is in. So the fact that the dollar is easing up, the Federal Reserve loves that. That's not when the dollar is destroyed. It's like imagine Star Trek and Captain Kirk is, you know, you see sometimes they destroy the Enterprise. OK, you're, you're getting signals. Remember, the, the Fed has like a control room. They've got so many different things that they monitor, not just the big things that I'm talking about on CNBC. The Federal Reserve monitors so many small things. They have hundreds, thousands of people. They have the best AI in the business. They've got huge data feeds. So they're constantly looking for that white whale that's going to be the end of the dollar and then end their job. And then you can see they don't see it. They don't see it. And when you did see it, like I said, in terms of Star Trek, you would see stuff falling off. Like you'd see gold going to 10,000. You would see Bitcoin at 100,000. You would see like... <laughs> Again, you would see like the Russian ruble would be skyrocketing and China would be skyrocketing against the dollar. And none of these things are happening. The ruble's down 20%. The Chinese won. We fight with the Chinese to keep each other weak. In other words, we don't go to China. Oh, 
the dollar is too weak. Let's make the dollar strong. No, we go to China. The dollar is too strong. The yuan needs to be smaller. Uh, rather, the yuan needs to be weaker. Because what this is doing is this is creating a tremendous trade imbalance. That's what happens. Now, if you were to read a lot of these, these guys that want to be fast talkers and just make shit up because there's no reason in their brains, they just like the way it sounds and they go on with it. But they'll be like, you know, oh, if the dollar goes down against the Chinese yuan, that means the yuan is going to be the world's currency. If anything, it means the U.S. is effectively negotiating with China because we don't want that big surplus and deficit. I mean, rather the deficit, China's surplus, our deficit. I mean, we're trying to basically disentangle from China because we've sort of gone to a war footing with them. They've gone to a war footing with us. Our economies are starting to disentangle. And that brings me to, as I know we wanted to do a short one today. So what I would introduce to you as a point is that if, are you a George Orwell fan? Have you yeah, read your George Orwell? Yeah. So 1984 is very interesting. You know, I was young enough that in 84, I turned 18. I was 85, but but I was almost 18. I was 17. And I thought, oh, well, he had it mainly wrong. I mean, it was a cool book. I enjoyed it, but the world didn't look like that to me. A little bit, but not really. And he was wrong. And here we are, and it's 40 years later. And holy shit, it all came true. Yeah. It all came true. It was like the guy was wrong 50 years out, but he was right 100. Like he said, at 50 years, he wasn't seen far enough. Like you didn't give him yeah. enough time to be right. You had to give him 100 years. But he's nailed everything. The whole fake media, the whole just we're going to repeat lies. And, and if you want to speak the truth, you're going to be go to jail maybe. That's fucking Orwell. And the idea that the world would divide into these three authoritarian blocks and they'd all be in a constant sort of state of war. And they, I mean, it's my God. It's like, holy shit. You know, I mean, he got it all right. And, and, and the other person I would say who was a prophet. And, and, you know, I'll leave it at this is Chalbert Pike, who in many ways is like the founder of modern masonry. Like masonry existed before Pike, obviously, because there was the whole American revolution and the masons were always powerful in America. Albert Pike wrote the dogma and morals book that masonry is based on. And he predicted 120 or 100, oh, well over 100 years, maybe it's 130, 120, somewhere in there. Then in the end, the way the world was going is there were going to be three world wars. And he got the first two right. And the third one was going to be between the Muslim world and the Jews. And that was going to basically end and sort of history. And everyone always thought he was right. And now you look at it here and it's just like, and, and people think that, and I know you're kind of very skeptical of the Masons and their intent, and, and I'm less than you are, but I will say that it's weird that he got it so right. I don't think the Masons have really worked this way. I'm not, I don't believe there's some this nefarious plot that they were working on and it's working for them. I think that that they saw that Charles Pike, just like Orwell, just had a very dynamic vision of the future. All right. Well, Howard, I always appreciate you on coming on the show. I, I like your insights because they come from nobody's controlling your viewpoints, and I like that fresh outlook. 
you've had a lot of experience working with China and the commodity markets. Um, you're working on all these interesting projects. So I really appreciate your time for this this episode, and we'll see you again shortly, I hope. Yeah, I look forward to watching, and I love watching your episodes, and you do a great job, Nikos. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, everybody. We'll do more rapid-fire shows coming soon. Part of the Nikos Show. Bye-bye.